0: Welcome to the Birmingham Bible Conference hosted by Glen Iris Baptist Church. We extend an invitation to you to come visit us at 1137, 10th Place South in Birmingham. The Monday through Wednesday a.m. service begins at 11 or you can join us at noon each day for the delayed broadcast of the morning service. The evening service begins at 7 p.m. or you can join us for the live broadcast each evening. Returning for this year's Birmingham Bible Conference is Dr. Brian Green from London, England, where he has pastored the Calvary Baptist Church for over 50 years. Dr. Green is a gifted preacher and teacher of the Word of God, speaking in many conferences as well as the director of the annual Highly Bible Conference held in Hertfordshire, England. We trust you will find help and encouragement from God's Word today as we now join the Glen Iris Baptist Congregation for the Birmingham Bible Conference.
1: We're so privileged to have the Greens with us for these days. As I've mentioned, Dr. Green has pastored the same church for over 50 years, an amazing thing. I've had the privilege of preaching there on various occasions. It's a vibrant, active church there in London, that vast city. You cannot imagine the nationalities, the crowdedness, all the things that, that are London. And there they, this congregation is faithfully served. Mrs. Green uh, teaches and is very active in their Sunday school and visitation, with um, getting the children into church. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful work they do. For several years, he's overseen the conference at, at High Lee. It's a Christian conference from people from all over the united kingdom come and i've had the privilege of preaching there and it's a wonderful thing to meet people from various backgrounds and it's very rare and they come for a week's time to uh, to meet and to hear the word of god well we have them here for these days and we want the lord to bless us the text has been read in jeremiah chapter 29 and let's ask the lord to open our hearts and minds to his word today our gracious heavenly father we were glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our hearts are always stirred when the Lord's day comes. At this prospect of meeting with your people and blending our voices and encouraging one another, exhorting one another, but most of all, to lift high your praise, to expect your blessing. Lord, we're in so need of your, the blessing, the thing that only you can do for us. You always do, through Your Word and by Your Spirit. And so we come as Your expectant people. We pray that we would do our parts as hearers. So often You said, He that hath ears, let him hear. And so that is with purpose and intent. May we, for this these moments, lay aside all that would hinder and crowd for our attention. May we truly focus upon You, Lord. Meet with us and open up to us the scriptures as you did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and stir us. And Lord, not only stir us, but change us, sanctify us by your truth. And may we be fit vessels and witnesses and proclaimers of this word that you teach us today. We ask in Jesus' precious name.
2: Amen. Let me say how pleased Pat and I are to be with you again. Uh, It's a wonderful occasion to come to your conference and we appreciate it immensely. And thank you also for uh, changing the date of the conference. I couldn't have come the last time because I was unwell. Um, But uh, the Lord is gracious and kind and brought me here. And I want to thank the Lord publicly and thank you for your patience as well. And may the Lord be pleased himself to come down among us and visit us at this particular time. Let me say clearly that your pastor and his wife are are well well thought of in my country and uh, every time we've had them over, uh, the Lord has been pleased to bless them in their both ministries, ministries that they have for us and uh, I know that our people send their greetings to them and also to you at this particular moment. I've been wondering and praying for a little while just what the Lord had had me to speak to you from. And uh, this morning, anyway, I want you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Let me say, as you turn to the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah is a neglected book. When you first read Jeremiah, you wonder what it's all about. And the scriptures are a little bit like that in certain places, like Ezekiel. Uh, Pat and I have been recently reading through Ezekiel, and uh, we've read portions of scripture which you have to stop and say, well, I wonder what on earth is all that? And uh, when you come to Jeremiah, it's a very similar experience, but if you dig deep and you really study it for yourself, you'll find that there are real gems, precious thoughts out of this wonderful book of uh, Jeremiah. We're going to look just at one verse this morning, or at least the verse and some of the verses round it, in Jeremiah 29. We could have read the whole chapter, because obviously the whole chapter is one complete whole and that's why the translators or after the translators uh, they actually divided up the Bible into chapters which was very helpful for us and verses and certainly uh, they did a good job in chapter 29 of uh, Jeremiah Uh, let me also add to you while we have introduction and sometimes I as I did this morning in in the Bible Hour that uh, the it's interesting and more than interesting instructive that you have some sort of background Jeremiah of course was a very important prophet he's important for many reasons first of all because he's the last prophet that God sends to his peop- to His ancient people before they go into captivity so obviously the last word of God to the people is very important we live in days I think like that uh, we don't know just what's going to take place but every day our newspapers tell us of some Disaster, some terrible thing happening in the world at the moment. It's full of this Ebola crisis, which uh, doesn't affect perhaps us at the moment, but it could do. And we ourselves must be ready and realize that these are the last days in which we live. And could it be so that the message that we have to bring is the last message which God has for this people in this day and age, not only in your country and my country, but also throughout the whole of the world. Uh, I, I've been amazed how this has captivated the whole of the world in just a moment it seems doesn't it just captivated so that every country is talking about it every country is looking and seeing what's happening about it and that's quite amazing because it's unique. I'm not sure as it really has happened in the past and and so therefore we know that this is a day and age just like that and Jerry Meyer lives in a similar sort of situation crisis time and then it's a very important message that he has to bring as well a strange message in a sense to tell the people of God that they must join with their aggressors and join with the Babylonians rather than fight back against them their natural instinct would be to fight against them and try and preserve what they have but Jeremiah says no don't do that this is the punishment of God this is the judgment of God and you're going to go into captivity, and you will be in captivity. That's his message. Now, I wouldn't like to have been the prophet in those days, I must confess. Uh, all of us want to bring a good positive message. Well, his was the negative message. And, of course, he was a young man, wasn't he? A very young man, teenager, when the Lord appeared to him. And then, after that, we have to say he was an experienced man as well. How on earth could he really preach this message? just... He came from a priestly family. He was a priest himself, and he becomes a prophet, a prophet that the Lord gives uh, promises to that he'll bless and he'll use and, and he'll mightily bless the word which he has to bring. He's really got to have faith, hasn't he? Uh, and, and another thing, he didn't seem to see a, have any converts. I know of one, uh, but all this preaching for all this time, over a period of 50 years, and yet he doesn't have any anything to show for it. And the Lord tells him, that's just what's going to happen. Now, we preachers like to see a certain amount of success. We confess that. And uh, if we don't, we just wonder what's happened and what's the matter. Uh, And and yet, here's Jeremiah. And so I called him the reluctant prophet, because he was. Who would like that sort of job? But God, of course, blessed him. Many people would say, and and say quite clearly, that his is, is one of the most important of the prophecies in the Old Testament Alexander White who many of the preachers here this morning perhaps would know uh, he said he was the most spiritual prophet second only to the Psalms now that's something else isn't it the Psalms we've looked at this morning and what a wonderful uh, Psalm that Psalm 118 is and all of them are wonderful but this man was second only to him and in the New Testament of course he's highly regarded whom do men say that I am? And one of the answers that was given, Jeremiah, or Jer- Jeremy, the prophet. And, and we understand why that was, uh, because, of course, it, 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 he, he preached as Jeremiah preached concerning judgment and concerning what the Lord has to say. Now, the interesting thing is that in this particular book, every time you have this message, which seems to be a negative message, although it wasn't, you also have a positive message as well. In other words, yes, you're going to go into judgment. Yes, you're going to have punishment. Yes, God will do that. But here is hope. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It really is. Listen, this old world is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And there's no question about that. The Bible teaches us that things will get worse. There's no question. That's what the Bible says. But there is hope. And we know that even in the time of sadness and and in the time of of trouble and trial and tribulation there still is hope and the Lord always does that doesn't he always gives us a word of hope and that's good for us as individuals because we need that don't we we need a word that will encourage us Uh, uh, one great preacher who was uh, coming to the end of his life said if I had my life over again I would preach more about encouragement because that's what the people of God need well we do, we do need encouragement don't we encouragement because we have a big foe against us and we have the difficulties of the flesh and the world in front of us and we know of course what it means to slip and to fall but God always gives us hope he's the encouraging God isn't he and he encourages our hearts and lives now come with me to this chapter that I've mentioned to you Jeremiah and chapter 29 lots of my people always try to guess what I'm going to preach on I always have a text you see And so, when I read the scriptures, uh, and then uh, they say, well, which one, which verse, which verse? Well, what verse do you think when you look down that chapter? It's a wonderful chapter that was read so well for us this morning. Uh, We only read, of course, 14 verses, but we could have read it all. But I want to try and speak to you about a verse which is well known. You may have had this as a promise on a card, or perhaps someone has given it to you at one time or other. Uh, but has it been really interpreted? That's what we want to try to do this morning. So I want you to see verse 11 as our, as our text. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I want to try, if I can this morning, to speak to you about the thoughts of God. That's the subject, the thoughts of God. And the first thing that I must do, and that is to ask you a question. Tell me, have you ever realized that God has thoughts? He has thoughts. You see, the Bible speaks much about God. Of course it does. It speaks about the face of God. It speaks about the hand of God. It speaks about the ear of God. It speaks about the voice of God. But here it speaks about the thoughts of God. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. The thoughts of God. Well then, of course, when you read that and you try to understand it, you ask yourself a question. What does he really think about? And our verse tells us an interesting thing. Because look again. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. So really, the thoughts of God is toward us, aren't they? Now, I know this is a simple fact, and I know it's very simple to all of you here this morning who know the Bible at all, and yet we gloss over this and we don't think about it. And so it's my job this morning to try and help us to think about what it really means that God thinks towards us. We are in his thoughts. Now, let me, if I can, give you a background to this because it's important that you understand that. Uh, Zedekiah the the king was sending a a letter to Nebuchadnezzar probably he was sending the tribute the money that he needed to do probably every month or thereabouts uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and men were all ready to take it to Babylon at that particular time and by the way, uh, the tribute had to come with a promise of total obedience, although he wasn't very obedient at all. And he lost his life uh, through it, first of all losing his eyes and losing his sons being slain in his presence. And then he himself, having his eyes ga- gauged out and taken to, to Babylon, he died, uh, died there because he wasn't very, uh, very good at all. But if you look at verse t- 2, you'll see what it says after that Jeconiah the king and uh, that, that was another name for him he's exactly the same name as we know it and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem uh, you know there were three actual deportations exiles uh, the first one uh, was all the intelligentsia of the land and uh, Ezekiel was one of those and so was Daniel They went into captivity first, but there were many others, of course, who went with them. Then there was a second one, where all the various craftsmen of the day, and they're mentioned here, aren't they? Carpenters, smiths, and so on, uh, departed from Jerusalem. That was the second deportation. And then the third was when they came and sacked the city. They kept round about the city, they burnt it to the ground, and the temple was totally, absolutely destroyed at that particular time. And you can imagine in your mind the devastation of the people which took place. But then you see in verse 3, by the hand of Elisabeth, the son of Shaphan, and Jebaniah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, It seems there that that really is a stop. And then you come to Jeremiah's letter because Jeremiah used this delegation going to Babylon to send a letter of his own. And, of course, the letter was the word of God to tell them how they should live in captivity. And that goes on. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, building houses, and so on. Uh, we read it all together and uh, maybe you know it anyway. Now this is a very important letter that Jeremiah actually uh, sends to the Jews that are already in captivity. There were three sorts of people who were in captivity at this particular time. First of all, there were those who were plotting against Babylon. And of course, they were trying to make a rebellion against Babylon, which would have been totally hopeless. But nevertheless, there were those who thought that was the way out. They were the second sort of people who had false hopes. You see, Egypt was a very strong force in those days and they still thought that Egypt would come to their aid. Of course, when Egypt fought with Babylon, they were completely destroyed and never ever were a nation as uh, uh, strong again in the whole of history. But the third sort of people were those who were in utter despair. They despaired that what was going to happen and they'd given up on life, them actual selves. And then here comes this letter. Uh, Jeremiah's prophecy to them is that they should only spend uh, 70 years in captivity. You'll see in verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return uh, to this place. And then we come, of course, to our... Uh, our, our verse, but in this chapter it tells of how that it would be seventy years that they would be in captivity, and God's word became true, as you all know, that in exactly seventy years there were a group of people that came back from Babylon, came into uh, Canaan or the Babylon, uh, came into Israel as it was after the, after this, and Israel themselves built the temple once again so that they could worship uh, the Lord but then he reminds them of this wonderful truth so Jeremiah now is giving them hope and he says for I know the thoughts that I think towards you saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end quite a remarkable verse in the middle of all the devastation and trouble and trial that was actually taking place this was their hope that even in captivity even in trouble even in trial God is thinking about his children. You know, he always does that, doesn't he? We could turn over our pages of our Bible and we would come to Peter and you'll know that Peter is a, an epistle which tells us about the dispersion, how the Christians were dispersed through persecution, trouble and trial. And we have a list of names there of places where they went to, don't we? They were cast out of their homes. Uh, they were split in families and they were taken uh, wherever they could go just simply uh, for security. But even in that, uh, the apostle writes to them so that they could understand that what is happening to them is, is a trial. It's going through the fire and when they go through the fire, they'll come, come forth as the, the gold that is tried in the fire and be something even greater for God. You could think about John on the Isle of Patmos. That must have been an awful experience, first of all, to to be cast on the Isle of Patmos. It was a place for, for thieves and for robbers and for criminals. And all the criminals were put there and left to last to die there. That's exactly what it was. We make a great thing about it, but that's exactly what it was. And John is put there because he's a Christian, because he stands up for the things of God. And the Lord appears to him in Patmos, doesn't he? and gives to him this wonderful book that we have, the book of Revelation. But how marvellous that God should do that. Why does he do that? Well, here it is. For I know the thoughts that I, uh, that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thought, thoughts of peace, uh, not of evil, to give you an expected end. How wonderful then it is that this is exactly what the Lord tells us this morning. He never forgets us. Whatever situation we find ourselves in today, wherever we are, Whatever problem or difficulty we're going through at this moment, the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The thoughts of God. The thoughts of God. Well now, let me, if I can then, speak to you first of all concerning these gracious thoughts of God. There are three things you must think of when you think about the thoughts of God. First of all, they're unrecognized by the foes. What I mean by the foes is the world. We think of the world today and... Uh, we think of those that maybe we've brushed uh, shoulders with, even today, coming to church. They have no desire to church, to come to church. They have no desire for God. And, and in my country, there's much more people there than, than here who have no guy, idea for God at all. And we see them all the time. They have no idea whatsoever. The thoughts of God, they're unrecognized by the world. They know nothing about that. So we're privileged, aren't we? That God is speaking to us this morning about his thoughts to us. And then the second thing that you think about here is that they're unhindered. No one can stop the thoughts that he has towards us, his children. And then the third thing, as we look at this, is sometimes they're unknown by us. What has God in store for me for tomorrow? I don't know. We have a hymn in our book, and you may know it yourself. God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad if other hands should hold the key. Or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. And I certainly would be, wouldn't I? No question about that. I don't know the future, and I'm glad I don't. But the Lord does. I know the thoughts that God God has towards, towards his children. And and you and I enter in, into that. And so we have to say, it's it's a privilege, isn't it? Of course, we believe as a Bible-believing church that the Bible alone helps us to enter into the thoughts of God. So we see, first of all, the facts, the fact that God has thoughts towards his children. The Bible is the only revelation. Where could you find about the thoughts of God? In your newspaper? On your television? Where could you find about the thoughts of God? But you do in the Scriptures, don't you? And that's why we dig deep. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we keep on in the Bible. Because here we have the thoughts of God. We really do. Psalm 40 and verse 5 says, Thy thoughts, which are to usward, cannot be uh, reckoned up. Neither can they, can they? And then Psalm 92 and verse 5, Thy thoughts are very deep. Oh, yes, they are. Psalm 139 and verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Precious. Oh, they are precious for the Christian. They really are. Psalm, uh, Rather, Isaiah 55 and verse 8, which I'm sure all of you could quote. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. How wonderful that is. And then another verse, of course. And you'll notice that most of these come from the Psalms, don't they? And they come from the Psalms because the psalmist expresses the deep devotion he has for God uh, and somehow enters into the thoughts of God. Uh, and he says, I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinketh upon me. My, that's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful that we are poor and needy? There's no question about that. None of us can boast before God. None of us have anything to boast of whatsoever. But the Lord thinketh towards me. My, I love that. I really do. And then the second thing that I I consider here is the focus here. Notice the word is mentioned three times in that little reference. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. In verse 11, for I know the thoughts, that's the first time, that I think. The word think is the same word. So it's thoughts again, you see. Towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts, this is the third time, of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You see, if God says it once, we believe it and it's important. If he says it twice, it's doubly important. If he says it three times, listen, it's very important, isn't it? And in one verse, yes, very important. And so you see how important this really is. My... It's quite remarkable. And our text says, you. It really refers to me as an individual. It refers to you as an individual this morning. We have a concerned God. And that's a wonderful fact. God is concerned about you. He's concerned about me. He's concerned about our lives. He's concerned about every detail. That's why I take everything to God in prayer. Why? Because He's concerned about every detail of my life my personal things, my public things, whatever it may be. He's concerned about me. He really is. And that's the wonderful thing. And when you think about thoughts, you know, love begins in thoughts, doesn't it? It begins in the mind. And then it expresses itself in love. We have thoughts of love for people, but it begins in our mind, in the thoughts. And God loves every one of us. The boys and girls Him. yes, Jesus loves me, and the Bible tells me so. And that's good enough for all of us. But the Bible does tell us, doesn't it, that God loves us, and that's a wonderful thing he loves as far as the nation of Israel were concerned at this time and and Judah who were going into captivity he 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 has thoughts about their present condition about their coming difficulties about their heartaches and about their joys and God is the same to us even today he really is we speak uh, of people being in our thoughts we say to them and we mean it you're in my thoughts you're in my thoughts but that isn't what God says Oh no, look at this. Here we have the active verb, if you like. And what it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Towards you. As if uh, God already knows what he's going to do for you, doesn't he? And that's what it means. His thoughts are toward us. uh, And you understand that uh, for uh, ourselves. You see, what it's speaking here is speaking about personal, isn't it? Something personal towards you towards you towards us and also they're true sometimes our thoughts are not true but God's thoughts are absolutely true and they're all to do with his planning and his purpose our thoughts change from day to day we think about someone or something today but tomorrow we'll have a different conception in our mind or perception and and our thoughts change but God's never change, do they because he's an immutable God, he cannot change and God's thoughts which he had yesterday are the same today oh but i failed God, oh but I've slipped and fallen, oh but I've gone astray but the thoughts of God are the same that he has toward us and isn't it wonderful that God really does have these thoughts because he's a wonderful working God you remember how Israel came to the Red Sea beside them were mountains In front of them was the Red Sea. Behind them uh, there was the Egyptian army, uh, the greatest army of its day. And here they come. They're going to slaughter them. And yet the Bible tells us specifically that God took them to that place. The the thoughts of God brought them to that very moment. Why did God do this? His thoughts never change. He knew there was a way of escape. He knew what he was going to do, didn't he? And all things are working together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so he makes a way right through the difficulty. And uh, that's what God does to us. He never changes. Think in the New Testament about the five loaves and the fishes. Do you think that just happened by luck or by chance? No, of course not. It's the working purpose of God, isn't it? He knows the thoughts which he's going to do and what he's going to take place. And so here's this hungry mob, uh, you may call them, as the thousands, a million round about, nothing to eat. And five loaves and two fishes satisfy the thousands of people that are round about him. Why? Because he knows what he's going to do. And that's what God always does. Yes, we see the fact and we see the focus. We also see the favour here. We rejoice in the grace and favour of God. That's why we're Christians. That's why we're here today. That's why we're seeking the voice of God. That's why we want a message from the Lord, from heaven itself, into our hearts. And why is it? Because of the grace and favour of God. His thoughts are pure, aren't they? Our thoughts are not always pure we all have to confess that. We all recognize and some are worse than others. But listen, our thoughts are not good, are they, sometimes? Sometimes we think of anger as well and malice and, and so many different things can come to our minds at this moment. But God is not like that. His thoughts are pure, aren't they? They're always pure. And also, his thoughts are, are, are faithful. Our thoughts are colored by the circumstances. The circumstances which surround an individual. And then we think about a person because of those circumstances. No, no, no. God's thoughts are faithful. They remain the same all of the time. They're greater than ours. They're deeper than ours. Uh, yes, his word is true, isn't it? We have to come and uh, in our country we have the Church of England. Uh, and The Church of England have a prayer book. I don't like red prayers, but some of the red prayers are very lovely, mind you, and very wonderful in word. And we use their phraseology sometimes. And and the the prayer book actually speaks about, we have sinned in word and thought and deed. Because our thoughts can be sinful, can't they? And we understand that. But God's never can be. His thoughts are higher than our our ways, our thoughts, and, and, and his ways higher than our ways. We understand that now, and we can see it ourselves. We cannot understand sometimes about it, but we can be assured that he knows the thoughts that he has toward us. What a wonderful truth this is his. My friend, we ought to rejoice in this. We really did. I know it's a simple message, but sometimes a simple message is what we need. A message from heaven. And this is a message from heaven, uh, that you and I must be encouraged by this, that the Lord has me in mind. He knows I'm preaching here. He knows here I am in America. How remarkable did I tell him? Well, sometimes I fail to tell him. But he still knows, doesn't he? He knows all about it. He knows the thoughts that he has towards me. He knows the thoughts he has towards you. He knows every detail about our lives. My, how wonderful that is. Now, let me pass on. I've spoken about the gracious thoughts of God. I want to now show you the, the glorious treasure of his thoughts. You see, blessing abounds for the child of God. But let me say to you quite clearly, it is for the child of God. If you've never been born again, of his spirit if you've never been washed in the precious blood that we were singing about a little while ago his blood availed for me you need to come to Christ you need to understand that you need salvation in your own heart and in your own life and then you have these blessings you see what it says here is this I know the thoughts that I think towards you saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end that's the gracious treasure of his thoughts it really is Notice it begins with peace, doesn't it? Real peace. You and I know that we can only know peace through the blood of his cross. We men seek peace in all sorts of different manners and different ways. But there's only one place where you can really find peace. And that is through the blood of the Savior who died for our sins upon the cross at Calvary. And he seeks our peace. He seeks peace for a troubled conscience. Have you got a troubled conscience today? His thoughts are for you, that you might have peace in your troubled conscience. He provides the peace. Uh, and and for people who repent of their sins, he maintains that peace by fellowship uh, with himself. We speak of peace with God. We speak of peace from God. We speak of peace, the peace of God. Yes, we have all of that in Christ. We really do, don't we? How wonderful God really is. What a message to the captives in Babylon here they are in a depressed state they're wondering what's going to take place and the message comes from heaven you're only here for 70 years oh yes you're here because of sin you're here because of your idolatry you're here because of all the things that you've done wrong and God is punishing you but there's hope I know the thoughts that I have towards you says God and they're thoughts of peace and the people say peace? we sing another hymn which I I I often love to to choose uh, peace, perfect peace. In this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. And it does, doesn't it? There's no question about that. There was a French author who wrote a book and uh, he called uh, the book Perpetual Peace. A Dutch newspaper wanted to advertise it but someone decided that they would advertise it, put underneath it, only with the extension of their whole human race. We'll never know peace, will we, with the human race as it is? Never. We'll only know peace in this old world when the Prince of Peace comes. And that's for sure. And we know it ourselves. But listen, he fights our battles. He gives us the victory. He, uh, he brings us over all the troubles in our lives. And we know that peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin. Do you know that peace this morning? Because this is what God says. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Yes, I'm repeating the verse again and again. Why? Because I want you to know the verse. It's such a lovely verse. It's a verse for you. You can sign your name next to it. So it's yours. And you really can. And he thinks thoughts of peace towards you. Peace in my life. Peace with all the problems I've got in my home. Peace of, I, I, that I have the problems in, in my work. Peace that nobody else understands because of my bodily afflictions. Yes. Every time, yes. Because his thoughts are us us for peace. That we might enjoy that peace which passeth understanding. Garrison in our hearts and minds. In the knowledge of the Saviour. That's the peace which God gives to us. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. And the word there, perfect, is a reoccurring word. Thou wilt keep him in in perfect peace. Peace, 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 peace. That's That's what it says. To him that loves him. To him that trusts him. To him that puts his faith and trust in him. And then you'll see the second little phrase that he mentions here. You may just read over it. It says here, of peace and not of evil. Not of evil. What does that mean? Do we need to actually think about that? Oh, yes, we do. This is the protection he gives. He does. So that we will not have evil in our lives. The devil attacks attacks us. Maybe makes insinuations towards us. But we can plead the promise, not of evil, not of evil. The old devil comes and attacks me. And I say, no, not of evil. That's what the promise says. He comes and tempts us. No, not of evil. Uh, He comes with evil suggestions. No, not of evil. Why? Because God has promised it in his word that he'll keep us. Now we can plead, can't we, the blood of Jesus who died for us upon the cross at Calvary. And we can overcome through that. We can plead the name of Jesus, which is all-powerful before God. And now we can plead the promise as well, not of evil, because the Bible tells us so and then you'll see this last word that it has there and it says here uh, to give you an expected end the expectation the revised version has a, has a good translation for that and, 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 it, and it says this give you hope at your latter end that's what it means or oh, when you think about our lives they pass on so quickly don't they a moment seems to flash by and, and a year has flashed by and years have flashed by Uh, And we're coming to the end of our lives. I know that myself, and I realize that. We're coming to the end of of our lives, and it's gone flashing by just like a a moment. But all things are working together for good, to them that love God, to them who are uh, called according to his purpose. You see, that's, that's what it means, doesn't it? And and it does mean that towards that end which God has for us when we'll be in the image of his dear son, when we'll be made perfect in his presence because of the blood of Calvary and because of victory that we enjoy in him. He knows the end from the beginning and he says to us, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Oh, what a wonderful God that we serve. What a wonderful God. C.H. Spurgeon said a lovely thing, and I quote it to you. He says, he knows every letter in the book of Providence. And so he does. I love that. Uh, he knows every letter in the book of Providence. And, and this chapter looks forward uh, to the 70 years when the people will go back to their own land, when they'll remake the temple. It may not be as good as the one before, but it's, it's, it's going to be remade. And it was relayed, wasn't it? What about us? Do you think God has an expectation from us? Yes. Do you think God desires us uh, to live our lives correctly and properly and to glorify him and to honour him and to bring blessing to our lives? Of course he does. The Bible tells us so. And it says to give you an expected end. Hope at the latter end. My friend, do you have hope at the latter end? I see so many older people and they're frustrated. Why? Because they haven't realised their dreams Well, my friend, I have no dream, but I have a saviour who has the future in his hands. And I know this, that the Lord will bring me hope at the latter end. Why? Because he's led me thus far. And if he's led me thus far, he'll lead me all the way. What about you? Do you have that? Do you have that hope? If you don't have that hope this morning make sure you receive the saviour here and now today so that you can go on your way rejoicing you can skip all the way home never mind about the car and you can no very well the lord has saved your soul we come finally uh, to the guiding tests you see when you look down this chapter you'll see so many remarkable things and we come now to verse 12 i want you to notice these so that you can see them Here's the promises, and first of all, notice the five, I wills, which God gives. For instance, in verse 12, uh, or go back to verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, uh, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? I will visit you. It's marked in my Bible, and I want the Lord to visit me all the time. What about the Jews? Well, that's what he's telling here, to perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Now look at verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. See all these I wills, five of them. Five in Scripture is the number of grace, and this is the this is the grace of God that is made manifest here. How is it made manifest? First of all, in supplication. In supplication, we go back to verse twelve to understand it. Then, and that's after you understand verse eleven. Then shall ye call on me, uh, upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Did they pray before they went into captivity? No. Did God answer prayer? No, there was no prayer to answer. If only they had, if only they'd called upon the Lord, they didn't. But now they're going to call upon the Lord, that's what the Lord says. And how wonderful that is. You know, prayer begins the blessing, doesn't it? We need to be constant in prayer. We don't pray as much as our forefathers prayed. They spent hours in prayer. Of course, they didn't have the television, did they? They didn't have the radio. They didn't have all the various things which attract us, and they do attract us, let's be honest. Uh, But they gave themselves to prayer. And so if they said, well, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer, they spent an hour in prayer. As far as we're concerned, we say, well, I'll spend five minutes in prayer. That would be enough, won't it? Sometimes we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. One day we'll appear before Almighty God, won't we? And we must understand that, understand that, Haydn, the musician, was meeting with two friends, three, two friends, the three of them, uh, and they met together. Uh, the other two were famous composers as well, and 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 one of them said, "What do you do when you're depressed? Musicians sometimes get depressed, and well, one said I, I treat my depression with the wine, and and, and that seems to pass after another.'" One said, Well, I, as far as I'm concerned, I I actually take myself to the music and that helps my depression. Haydn said, When I'm sad, I'm not depressed, but when I'm sad, I take it to prayer and there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure it is true. A lady who was an infidel was crossing the sea from America to to Britain uh, and she was coming up to the time when she thought the, the boat would dock and she come to a sailor and said how long will it be uh, before the, the, the boat actually docks uh, and, and he said 14 days if the Lord wills if the Lord wills she says you must be stupid if the Lord wills nothing to do with the Lord it's chance, chance in the good weather or the bad weather well he said you think as you like and then there was a storm came And it was going to be more than 14 days now. And she came again to the same sailor. She said to him, aren't you praying? He said, how can I pray to chance? I can't pray to chance. Chance will never answer me. But he said, I'll pray to the Lord if you like. She said, oh, go on, pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Listen, when people are up against it, they do pray. Even if it's just an utterance out of their mouths. Oh, yes, they do. And I've seen it many, many times. People who are dying will pray. They don't really mean it, you see. That's a sad thing. Because God would hear, wouldn't he? And we must understand that. But how remarkable is this? God now hears answers prayer, doesn't he? And then there's submission as well in verse 13. And ye shall seek me and and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. Searching for God with all their heart. Well, we do that every time, don't we? No, we don't. No, we don't. And all sorts of other things in our mind, all sorts of things upon us with all our heart, with all our heart. Not just half of our heart, not just a bit of our heart, but the whole of our heart. I ought to be full-hearted Christians. That's what we ought to be. I, I need to be and you need to be full-hearted Christians. That means submission to God so that he's in charge of everything. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we must understand that. And then salvation. Look at verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I would turn away your captivity. And I would gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place of which I caused you to be carried away captive. How marvellous. The Lord brings salvation, doesn't he? But it all begins in the thoughts of God. And this morning we've been thinking about the thoughts of God. And the wonderful thing about the thoughts of God is he has me in his mind. And he has thoughts toward me. I'm not just in his thoughts. No, he has thoughts toward me. But hasn't God given up with me? Hasn't God said, well, that's enough? No, not one of us. Because he has thoughts of all of us here this morning. May God bless his word to our hearts and lives.
1: Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for the Word that teaches us and blesses us and helps us. I'm sure, Lord, in this house and by way of radio, there are those who may be heavy burdened today. They may be in a time of captivity in their lives. Maybe by their own doing or the circumstances that seem to imprison them. We thank You for this encouragement. I have thoughts toward You. Lord, I pray that You would take Your Word and Give that hope and that peace that only You can give to Your child. And that one who does not know You, Lord, I pray that You would use these verses to show them their great need of a Savior. A great need of a Heavenly Father who thinks thoughts and leads and guides and knows the end from the beginning. And has led us to this very hour. We pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus just now. Believing on Him for salvation. Oh, what a wonderful Savior You are. What a wonderful Heavenly Father. Oh, the Spirit that abides with us and blesses and dwells in our midst and within us. We thank You for this and Your servant and the Word to us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you? T-
0: Thank you for joining us for another service from the annual Birmingham Bible Conference here at Glen Iris Baptist Church in South Birmingham. If you would like a CD copy of Dr. Green's message, please call us at 205-323-1516. Again, that number is 205-323-1516. Or if you choose to write and request copies of these messages, Send your correspondence to Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137, 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Again, that address is Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137, 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Thank you for joining us either on WAY-TV Channel 47 or WGIB Radio the Where God is Blessing Broadcasting Network.